tell you where to turn, honestly. I guess, I guess Luke 9, that's what I have in my notes. Um, and I'll explain that more in a second. Uh, thanks to Cody and the band. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, like Chase said at the beginning, uh, it's just, we're just glad to have you here with us tonight. And I uh, believe that God has some really specific things in mind for us corporately and uh, for us as individuals. And so I hope that you're able to extract all that he has for you out of the songs and the scriptures and just the uh, interaction between everyone tonight. Um, this is the third week in a, a semester-long series looking at just different kinds of relationships that God has given us and, and where those things come from theologically and how they fit into uh, just life together. And so the first week... Uh, we looked at the, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and, and how that is the foundation for all of our relationships. The reason why we are hardwired to be connected to people is because we're made in the image of God, who, who, he, who is himself a community. Uh, the Father, Son, and the Spirit exist in this amazing bond where they have eternally existed as, as being fully and equally God together from the very beginnings all the way to the end. And there is this incredible uh, love and holiness that exists there. Sin has never affected their relationship with one another. Uh, there is no rivalry. There is no conceit. There is no competition there. There's never been any betrayal. There's no abandonment. There's just nothing that, that we experience uh, interpersonally with people, the things that we're scarred from relationally, none of that has ever impacted the Father, Son, and Spirit in their relationship with each other. And so it is this, this perfect, beautiful community uh, that is the foundation for, for us kind of understanding ourselves internally. And so we went from there in the first week, and then last week we looked at, at how God, uh, how He relates to us. Um, in, in terms of uh, what is his connection to us as, as humans, and what does that interaction look like? Uh, he is bonded to us just uh, in, in a very similar way as parents are bonded to their children, because we are made in his image. And that's not something that we would, you can even pretend to understand you know, thoroughly, but, but we're trying to, to recognize the fact that, that there's a significance in how we were made and put together, that there's, a, there's this intrinsic value that every human carries with them because of whose image we're made in, because we are his sons and daughters, whether someone realizes it or not. They're made in his image. And so he, from him to us, there is this connection, this bond that is unbreakable and is deep and it is eternal. And it's from that connection to us and that bond that he, he showers us with with goodness and faithfulness, and he is steady to us at all times. And so uh, tonight I want to look at, at our, our relationship up back to him. And so not that he's like, he's up and we're down, but if we were to think of it that way, the first week was, was horizontal relationships within the Trinity. Last week was how the Trinity react, uh, interacts with us, their, their connection to us, God's connection to us. 
And now it would go back this way. What is our bond and our connection to God uh, in, an, in kind of an, an upward sense? Um, so that will kind of be this one. And then from here on out for the rest of the semester, we'll keep referring back to the bonds and connections and interactions between within God and his to us and us to him. So these have become reference points. And I was thinking about it today. Like I'm, I feel like I put together uh, sermons and series a lot more like a professor than a preacher. And so uh, that's why I said I'm not real sure where to tell you to turn because we're going to hop around so much which is not my favorite way to do this. I would rather let's go to one place and just unpack one passage or one verse or one word or whatever. But tonight it's just going to kind of be that way as, as we kind of build this foundation. And then for the next several weeks, we'll just keep looking at, at how those work their way outward. Um, so in terms of, of what is our like connection, interaction with God, it's really difficult to try to sum it up in one sermon because basically the whole Bible is written to like reveal this massive reality that we can have a relationship with God. Um, so I'm gonna, not going to try to summarize the whole Bible, but there is this. There's something to the fact that that um, the whole, like all of Scripture, is constantly like teaching us from different perspectives and different understandings and different examples from different kinds of people exactly like what it means to have a relationship with God. It's such a such a foreign thing in so many ways. Um, can you just raise your hand for me if you come from a if you had Southern Baptist youth group somewhere in your background? Can you just like raise your hands up? Okay, so a lot of you. Okay, um, I you know I came from the same background. I remember uh, growing up at at my home church. <clears throat> it was seventh grade. That's when you got to be in the youth group, which made it really weird because in the sixth grade you were in middle school. Uh, right, but then it wasn't until seventh grade you got to do the youth group stuff. So there was this angst that would build up as a sixth grader at church because you were kept separate from everyone else. So when seventh grade would roll around, you would get to do, um, you know, you'd change Sunday school classes and you'd do all that stuff. But that's when you got to start going to Wednesday night youth group stuff. Yeah, and for some reason that was a really huge deal to me, uh, probably because I was the oldest child and so I didn't have. You know, there it was just like this, like that was like uncharted waters for me, I guess, and, which is maybe kind of sad. But um, but I was excited about that, and and I remember when <clears throat> whenever that became a part, regular part of the week because we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night people. Anybody else? That was like pretty. I was pretty regular. Um, Wednesday nights they had a meal, and everyone the kind like we did this summer, everyone had a meal. And then people would kind of peel off in different directions. And some people went to choir practice and some people went to Bible study. And then the kids kind of did their thing and the youth did their thing. And at that time, we had, the, we had run of the gym. So we would eat as fast as we could. We would go to the gym. And then we would like play some sort of sport until we were like forced to quit. And um, <clears throat> it was usually basketball. And there was not a division of like the boys played basketball and the girls didn't. There was like... Girls playing basketball, and they were always better than the dudes, like every single time. Um, and we would play basketball, and some people didn't, but we were just kind of hanging out in the gym. And then they would force us to stop playing, and we would go to what was called the upper room. And it was this room, like, <clears throat> it would be like if that back part of the sanctuary was like a secret room at, at Zor's gym. And so we would go to the upper room, and that was like the youth room. And so after playing basketball and being like sweaty and gross... We would all get in this little bitty room, which was amazing, I'm sure, for all the adults uh, who were present. And we were sweaty, and we stunk so bad. And, and we would have a Bible study, and we were so frustrated that we had to quit 
like playing basketball or whatever to go and have Bible study. Uh, and every week you go in and you're, they would be like, okay, come on, it's time for Bible study. And you're like, oh, boo, you know, and which I'm sure was very encouraging to all of our volunteers and youth minister. And so we were always so sad when we got up there and, and, um, <clears throat> no matter who was leading that week, they were, they were happy to be there and they had planned this lesson out and, uh, it would take a little while to get the room warmed up, which is probably like most community groups, you know, and then there was always a really good, you know, good time of discussion and that kind of stuff. And I, rem- I can remember as a seventh grader, and then for years and, you know, years after that, um, always just kind of like feeling like I, w- I was never doing enough. You know, like <clears throat> we, would, we would talk about prayer, and then you'd be like, I want to pray more. Like I want to like really experience prayer. But then you're like, yeah, but I don't know. Like I tried it, and it just re- wasn't really working very much. They would say, you know, you'd be reading your Bible every day. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And you would, so Thursday morning, you'd read your Bible. And then Friday morning, you'd be like, well, it's Friday, you know. And then it was Saturday and it was Sunday, so you had to read your Bible again. But you kept wanting to do these things. You know, you wanted to, you wanted to practice those disciplines. You wanted to love your neighbor. You wanted to, um, to be compassionate for people who didn't know Jesus. You wanted to, um, <clears throat> you wanted to be a good son or a good daughter. You wanted to, uh, to be a good church member, you wanted to not squander your spiritual gifts. You know, all these things we were learning about, I always wanted it, but it never seemed to pan out. And what, what happened, and this has nothing to do with the leadership of the church, okay, at that time, so don't hear me saying that. This was just my own young process, I guess. I always, it, when, that, when that was your every Wednesday, you just basically were always in this cycle of feeling like you're just a failure. Always, always, always. So you have this thing that you want to do, this life you want to live, you believe you're created to live, you believe that Jesus wants you to live it, but you just never are good enough. You can just never really get there. And so you kind of just feel defeated or you give up or you just stay in this endless loop you know, of frustration. And um, What was really unfortunate is that didn't end when uh, middle school ended. It just carried over into high school and it carried into college and and it really wasn't until after college or like toward the tail end of my college years when there started to be some things that, that didn't fix all of that. You know, I didn't like all, all of a sudden learn the magic formula to prayer or being in the word or anything like that. It just seems like maybe for a long time I was missing a very important step in kind of understanding how God has put us together. That, that if we're going to talk about what should our interaction with God look like, you know, we looked at, at the Father, Son, Spirit, how they interact in their bond, we looked at, at, at how they are bond with us and how they treat us, and if we're going to talk about how we're supposed to act toward them, the tendency is to jump right to those behavioral things. You know, it's like, well, we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to read our Bible, we're supposed to love our neighbor, and we're supposed to, you know, do this and do this and do this, and don't do this or this or this, and... But if we skip over some very foundational, important things, then those things don't really make a lot of sense. The last couple of weeks, I've, I've just used two, two concepts that, that are a part of relationships to try to just use it as a framework, because I think better that way. I've talked about connection, I've talked about in, interaction. And interaction is that, like, Okay, so how do, how do the Father, Son, and Spirit behave toward one another? How, does, how do the Father, Son, and Spirit behave toward us? What does that interaction look like? But the first part of that, that connection, 
That, that has to be in place before the interaction can make sense. Like you think about it, like those of you who are parents, the bond that's there, that's what drives your interaction with your kids. Like it's, this, like it's from that that you act. When you are, are friends with people and you have that connection as friends, it's from that bond that you interact with them in the different ways. Even the ways that, that don't make a lot of sense. Even the, even the ways that are contrary. That's a part of where the tension exists. So in times, as a parent, if you are bonded to your kids, but yet you are mean to them, you take something out on them that has nothing to do with them, that's what creates that dissonance within you. Because you're like, man, I'm, my, my, my interaction with them is contrary to my bond with them, and that creates this, this cluster of uh, tension and dissonance there. When you're, when you're connected to someone, you're friends with them, and yet you're a jerk to them, that's why that angst, that's where it all comes from, because those two things are not consistent. But one leads to the other. And so before we talk about, like, in, in too great a detail, what, are, what is our interaction with God supposed to be? What is that, that supposed to look like? We first need to really get a good grounding for what, our, what is our bond to Him. We talked about what His bond is to us, but what is our bond to Him? So the first, like to use the same framework of, of connection and interaction, connection is kind of hard to summarize because the Bible itself uses so many different approaches, probably because our connection to him is so vast. There isn't one perfect analogy that fits everything. So I picked out several. And I'm not going to ask you to turn all these places. Our friend Andy Wheat back there is going to just fire away some verses. So you just don't need to like worry about flipping all these places. But these are just a couple that kind of would maybe help, help explain the bond that we have to our God, whether we act on it or not. Um, all right, so there's, let me count. One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, for those of you who are note takers. All right, eight of these. Um, so the first one, <clears throat> the bond of a child to their father. Not father not, don't think father to child. Think child, child to father. Um, Jesus helps us with this one in the beginning of uh, the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father in heaven, this is Matthew 6, verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how he's, he, he opens it up when they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He says, Okay, here's how you pray. Our Father. And teaching people how to communicate with their God, the place that he starts is take the position of a child. Remember, remember where, like, remember who you are and whose you are, and all those kinds of things. Take the position of a child. That's the bond. And what is a what is a child's connection and bond to their to their parents? Well, some of it they're unable to articulate. When 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 babies are little, like a part of why like mom and dad are their favorite people on the planet is not something they could really, if they could communicate, they wouldn't even be able to. It's just it's it's in them. There is this tie that exists. And it's, it's about more than like, oh, you're a source of food and protection and comfort and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's all part of it. But there's a deeper tie that exists. And as the kids grow older, that's who they look to for care and for guidance and for love and for provision and protection. A child looks to their parents to help them interpret life. You know, we're... we're what, six or seven or however many weeks out from this flood. And, <clears throat> and there's so many kids who've been impacted by this who are just going through um, 
Some of them really don't, they don't know what's going on, you know, but then some of them are old enough to have to like try to process things. And who are they looking to? They're looking to mom and dad of like, how do I interpret life? How do I interpret what's happened to our house? How do I interpret what's happened to our neighborhood? How do I interpret why my school rhythms are different and where's my stuff, you know, and all those. That's who they're looking to, to interpret life for them. That's where your training and your discipleship and your mentoring. That's all those things are this bond to the parents that that children, uh, it's downloaded into them. That that's who they're looking to. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray and says, our father in heaven, he's saying you take the position of a child who looks to their, their parent for all of those things. Care and guidance and protection and interpreting life and mentoring and training and all those kinds of things. That that is our bond to him is he is the provider of all, all things to us as his children. And so that's one of them. The second one we see in Ephesians 5. It's the bond between a, from a bride to her groom. From a bride to her groom. Paul says this in uh, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's, it's the kind of bond where we, we look to our God and we see someone who is willing to, to sacrifice of himself even to the point of death for, for our own holiness. But that's, who we're, that's the bond that we have as you look at someone and you say, you would do that for me? And that galvanizes that connection with us when we realize, when we sing of the cross and when we, when we take communion and when we, when we live in the fullness of all that he has done for us and we realize that it's that connection that a bride has to that kind of husband. That's the second one. The third one. Uh, from the connection, the bond between, from a shepherd, I'm sorry, from, from a sheep to their shepherd. From the sheep to their shepherd. Um, David writes the 23rd Psalm from this perspective. Uh, He starts off uh, the first verse, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He goes on to talk about God's perfect leadership of him and and, and how he's able to to not desire anything. He lacks no good thing. That He always has what he needs. That He he knows the path of righteousness because he just follows his shepherd. That he's given, God has given us, like Jesus is our leader. That we have that connection of like, what do I do now? What do I do? Oh, I just, I follow him. That's what I do. What does the path of righteousness look like for me? I, I follow him down it because he is my shepherd. And that forges that bond that, that we have with him of like, here's this perfect shepherd who never, he never leads us into a pasture that doesn't have grass or to water that is stagnant and gross He's never confused about the right, right path. And even through the worst things life has to bring, he is there with me. His faithfulness and his strength, they are a comfort to me. His goodness and his mercy stalk me for all my days and I'll live in his house forever. I'm following this dude. It's the bond between a sheep to their shepherd. 
Number five. No, four. The connection from a, between a vine and a branch. We are the branch. He is the vine. That's what Jesus says in John 15, verse 5. So I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That he is the trunk of the tree, we are the branches coming off of the tree. That that is our connection to him as we look to him as our source of uh, literally of life. Like we are dead apart from him. Severed from him, we are dead. Attached to him, we are alive. He is our life source. Anything good that is produced out of our lives is only because his goodness and mercy and grace and love are flowing into us. And so there's a connection there. We look at him when we say, you have given me life and I need you for my life to continue to sustain. There's a a bond that is there when we see him. The next one. Uh, The bond between two heirs, from heir to heir. Um, This is Romans 8, 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, sometimes it's easy to think that God's way up here and you're way down here. And in the grand scheme of things, well, yeah, we all know that there's truth to that. Like, God is God. Like, we're not, we're not trying to rival Him. But there isn't this, this kind of hierarchy that, that makes Him inaccessible or impersonal. There are passages like this. We see it in other parts of the New Testament. We see it in Isaiah 53. It's talking about the suffering servant that Jesus will be and how he will share his spoils, the spoils of his victory, that all the things that have come to him through his obedience at the cross, and he invites us into that. So we are heirs, we're co-heirs with Jesus. And so what does that mean? Like what is that, how does that bond us to him? Well, we don't just, we don't, we don't just work for him. And sometimes, sometimes it's kind of made to feel that way. Of like, God's the big boss of the universe, and you are his minions, and you kind of go and you do like what he tells you to do, and otherwise you get in trouble. But when we start to read the Bible, we're like, no, it's, yes, he's, he's this great, amazing, powerful, holy, perfect being. And instead of him looking down at us, he says, hey, let me bring you up. Let me bring you into our community. Let me invite you into life with, between Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're going to make you co-heirs of the universe forever. We're going to share all of this. We're going to share heaven forever. And so we're connected. It's not, it's not just that, he, you know, that we work for him. He's given us a new name. He's given us a seat at the family table brought us into the family agenda. And so the present and the future and all those things are now, it's our, it's our business with him. And so there's a connection that we have to him. There's a bond that's there when we're like, yeah, we're, we're going to inherit this because of his kindness in inviting us in. But now we're, we're going to inherit this together. The next one. 
is the connection between two friends. In John 15, verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants. See, I just said that. That's where I got it from. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known, made known to you. It's like you're not just employees. You're, you're adopted into the family. You're like brothers and sisters with Jesus. And he just likes you. <laughs> he is not trying to keep things from you. He's brought you in. And he looks at us and says, I, you're my friends. Like you're not, it's not that I'm up here and you're down there. You're at the table, we share a name, and I genuinely just like you. And in response to that, there's this bond that forms from us. And so if you are constantly kind of just feeling like God's unhappy with you, disappointed with you, shaking his head at your mistakes, that kind of stuff, look, he's your friend in his own words. He's your friend and he's your sibling. He's your co-heir. And he's your shepherd, and he's your husband, and he's your parent. You know, it's like all these things that like seemed they would go against each other in a lot of ways in a human sense. But the Bible is like throwing all these analogies to us of like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? He's a mixture of all these dynamics. The next one, the connection between um, a a rescued sinner. To their Savior. In Revelation 5, 9 and 10. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Our connection to him, he is the one who has rescued us. The word Hosanna is a cry for help, and he is the answer to that cry. And that is the connection that we will forever have with him. Who came to get us? Our friend, our brother, our co-heir, our Savior, our Lord, our God. And the last one. Connection between citizens and their king. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, all those other connections in place, there's an, this last one kind of frames it in a, in a way that it's, it's a reflection of the Trinity Father, Son, and Spirit, there's equality, there's love, there's all this perfection there. But yet they each, have, they each play a role in how the world works and how salvation has worked and how creation has worked. And then we're the same way. So if he, has, if he is, if that child-to-parent bond is there and that, that bride-to-groom bond is there and the sheep-to-shepherd is there and the the, the heir to heir is there, and the sibling 
is there, and the friend is there, and the rescuer is there. Slowly you're starting to be like, man, this is an amazing, amazing connection that we have to him. So what are we, what are we supposed to do? And he says, okay, um, this is going to be your, your role. This is going to be your role. This is going to be your role and your role and your role. And he says, this is going to be my role. And we're going to do this thing with all these moving parts in this kingdom. We're going to make it real and bring it near to people. Invite them into this, and then there'll be more moving parts. And there'll be way more moving parts than you guys can keep up with, but don't worry. We're going to handle the moving parts. You just do your individual stuff. And if all those other connections are there, then of course you don't mind someone like that saying, hey, you're my ambassador. You're like, okay. And so all those connections that the Bible says we have, and that's just a, that's just a few. There's plenty more. When all those things are there and they're clicking and they're working, it makes you want to be faithful, doesn't it? It, it, it does for me. When, I, when I'm thinking about that, then I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's do whatever he wants us to do because our God is amazing. There's nothing about me that, sh- that should be able to be bonded to someone like that, but yet... By his grace, he said, come on in. And once a bond and a connection is there, it doesn't go away. You know, There are people in your life that you're connected to from way back. That connection hasn't changed. Your interactions maybe have changed, and that kind of happens with time. But the bond is still there. And so even in the times when our interactions don't look like we want them to, it doesn't mean that that connections are gone. It just means that we're not really dialed in to all that. And we may be hit and miss in our faithfulness to him, but he is not hit or miss in his faithfulness to us. He is steady and perfect and good and faithful toward us. What we want to do is to live in, in the reality of that connection that Jesus has provided between us and God. And then to let our interactions just flow very naturally out of that. If you skip right to the interaction, if you skip to the behavioral stuff, you miss all that goodness that's there. It's like trying to parent without there being a bond that's there. My brother and his wife, they they adopted these two boys and they fostered them for a while and they adopted them. And you know, there was a part of me that, that just wonders, that wondered then and, and always kind of wonders, like, man, how does God do that? You know, for, for a birth parent, it seems like there's a natural connection, but how does it work with adoption? And God just supernaturally makes these connections there. Like, only He can do that. And once that bond is there, then the, the parenting just flows naturally out of those connections that are in place. And so if you come from, from a background, um, and I don't mean like Southern Baptist Youth Group background, if there's any part of you that just kind of always feels like you're not doing enough, then maybe some of these ideas, maybe some time there is beneficial. Because if you skip over that stuff, you skip over the connection, you just jump right to interaction, it kind of loses its context. It's like you're building on a foundation where there isn't really a foundation. You're just trying to do stuff. 
You don't know why you're doing it. You're just doing it because someone told you you should do this. But when you know why you're doing it, it's because of, of a bond that has, has come from there. Then you're like, okay, so what, what should our interactions look like? We could spend a while talking about what they actually look like. But what should they look like? We're going to go to three places, and I would like for you to turn to these. Uh, the first one is uh, from, from Jesus himself. What is our interaction with him supposed to look like? How are we supposed to behave towards him? Well, keep in mind, coming out of all those connections, all those bonds, and the many more that he provides, one of the great summary statements from Jesus is in Luke 9.23. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So here's Jesus saying in a, a very like attainable, like one-sentence kind of thing. He doesn't say, go read the Old Testament. He says, here, let me sum it up for you. He does this a couple of times. If anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to know what interaction is supposed to look like, he's essentially giving an invitation. And the, the invitation loses a little bit of context if you aren't Jewish. But to follow after a rabbi means to like literally follow them around, like to live life with a rabbi. And so what is our interaction supposed to look like from a, like a, like a big picture standpoint? It's a relationship. It's just that simple. It's not something where, where God is, is distant, where God is impersonal, where God is not really involved in your life, where God happens on Sundays Um, it's not the kind of thing where God cares about certain aspects of your life, but not others where you can box him out of your money or your time or any of those kind of other things. It is this complete immersion in his life that that is what he invites us into. That's what the interaction should look like. Now, when you're building on a foundation of that connection, you have that like parent, husband, shepherd, rescuer, heir, friend, Uh, All that kind of stuff. That person is saying, come hang out with me all the time. Just live your life with me constantly. And so if you're looking for a base understanding of how you're supposed to interact with God, that's it. Interact with God. Like, it's just have a relationship with him. Which seems really mysterious, and I understand that. And so much of, of Christian community is us together figuring out, what in the world does that even mean? I've been in church a long time, and that phrase gets thrown around so much. Like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Like, what? What? Like, didn't he die? Kind of there, you know. Like, isn't like, didn't he? Didn't he live a long time ago? How can I have a relationship with him? Think about how absurd that sounds if you are not immersed in the, the like vernacular of Christian community. But what is being expressed in that is a real. It's like a real thing. It's like no, like. Have you, like, have you accepted Jesus' invitation to like, know him in a real way? It's okay if you don't know what that looks like. We'll teach you. We're, we're figuring it out too. Come be a part of this community that's trying to do this together. But God created you to know him. So he says, if anyone would come after me, that's what, that's what it means when a rabbi says it. Come on. He, he gives them a pretty short description. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. 
says it's going to be a life of self-denial, okay, a life that is not all about you. It's going to be a life of obedience. So for him, it meant like literally being obedient to the point of death, uh, to die on a cross. But for you, it could, be, it could be any number of things. It could be very simple acts of obedience. It could be really big acts of obedience. So just deny yourself, take up your cross daily, be obedient every day, and just follow me. Like just walk with me. Now we know, we know from watching him with his disciples that it involved scripture and involved prayer and involved serving people and, and asking good questions and letting God guide you and like all those kinds of things. But our connection to him really is essentially just to take him up on this invitation. It says anybody wants to come, this is what it looks like. Self-denial, obedience, relationship. And when... When I say yes to that invitation, and you, you say yes, and you say yes, and, you say, and we're all saying yes to this, we're all essentially walking through life following Jesus together. And there are times when you're like, where is he going? I don't know. Where, where do you think he's going? What did he say? I didn't really catch that. I don't understand what that word means. And so we're kind of helping each other interpret some things, but that's what we're doing together as a church, is we're learning what that interaction and how we are to interact toward God. We're learning that together. And it's going to require life not being all about you. And it's going to require some acts of obedience that will not always be comfortable. But remember who we're connected to. That's why it has to have a foundation. Because sometimes Luke 9.23 is really like a great verse. And other times it's one you wish you could just kind of cut out of the Bible. Because it's really difficult. So in Jesus' own words, that's what it looks like to interact with him. To be selfless, to be obedient. And to just be with him. So now uh, go to First Peter chapter one. And this is what it looks like in the words of Peter. So Peter would know firsthand because Peter said yes to that invitation. He said yes to the call to. Uh, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after Jesus. He's trained in the ways of Jesus. He, know, he knows the answer um, because he, like, firsthand has been there. He's further down the road than us. So what do we have to learn from him? Look in uh, 13 through 16. So therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So there's a lot we could focus in on. One thing to me would be as obedient children. Again, that's following Jesus into the prayer closet and saying, take the position of a child. A child who trusts their parents enough to say, whatever you say to do, I'm going to do it. Because you have proven yourself over and over and over again to be completely trustworthy. To be obedient children. And he says to be holy, for he is holy. And who is the holy one? God is the holy one. And so what has Peter learned from Jesus? A part of that is to be obedient and to be like God. That's interesting, I think. 
Isn't that really the same thing that Jesus says? If you want to come after me, then this is what it's going to take. He's inviting us into his life. Peter is saying, if you want to know how to interact with God, you, 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 you become like God. Not you become God. That's different. You become like God. That you're drawn into this relationship where the longer you hang out, the more you start to act like them and talk like them and think like them. You ever notice that about yourself? You start hanging out with certain kinds of people and you start picking up little phrases and little things that they do. Um, think about that, but on like the most important level ever. That the more you are following Jesus, the more you're being shaped like him. The more holiness doesn't seem like this faraway concept or this thing that just preaches really well or this thing that religion uses to keep you under their thumb and make you feel bad and keep you, you know, doing whatever. This is really like life for you. He says, as obedient children, don't let, don't let sin take over your life. Don't let sin take its effect. Jesus has freed you from that holiness. That's where you're going. You can, you can live this kind of life. The last, the last one, let's look at what Paul has to say. This is in Ephesians 5. I'll close with this. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There it is. Be imitators of God. Your beloved children, imitate him. How do you know how to imitate him? You're with him. You're watching him. You're listening to him. You're reading his book. You're asking for his wisdom. His spirit lives inside you. You're holding his Bible. You're walking in life with his community. He surrounded you inside and outside with everything. You can live this life. You are connected to God. Whether you feel connected or not, if you're a Christian, you are connected to him. That bond is in place. If you hadn't been acting like it, that's a whole other issue. But maybe you hadn't been acting like it because, because it's so easy to forget those connections are there. And I'm reminded every time I walk in this room, I'm reminded when I walk into my community group, I'm reminded when I open this Bible, I'm reminded over and over again if, if, of all these different mechanisms God has put into place to remind me of the love and the holiness that exists in the Trinity, His love for me and for you as those made in His image, and our bond and connection uh, back to Him because of the grace that Jesus provides. When all those things are happening then we're tapping into the fullness of, of how we were created. And when Jesus says, I've come to give you abundant life, this is what he's talking about. Life where we're imitating God because we're with God. Or it's transformation. It's all these kinds of things. But we can't just jump to behavior. If you want to pray more, Jesus says, start off with our Father. Remember who's, who you are. Go back to those connections. Once the foundation is there, all the other stuff comes very naturally. And Paul is going to always bring it back to you. Look at what Jesus did. Look who Jesus is. And so wherever this fits into life for you right now, I hope that, that we're starting to, to really like just grab onto more and more this, this, the amazingness of God and the beauty of Him wanting anything to do with us and that connection He has to us, but then He's provided all this connection back to Him. And things like singing together and looking at the scriptures and taking communion, all these things are built in to keep us oriented toward him and that reality.
And so we're going to take communion here in just a minute. And it's the kind where you tear the bread off and you dip it in. Um, that's going to be one way that we can respond. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to, do, we're going to respond the way that we normally do. But maybe we can do so tonight. Thinking about those connections that God has provided for us. Maybe it's helpful for you to, to pick one of those and have those in mind. Maybe as you're in line or maybe as you're singing or praying. Whatever it is, remember, we aren't here by our own merit. We are only here because of what Jesus has done. So let's stand together. I'm, uh, I'm sorry if that was a little bit longer than I thought it would be, but it's a lot to summarize. So maybe just, maybe just for a second, just try to get your mind uh, centered on some, some sort of takeaway. So that as you sing or come to communion or whatever, that you kind of have something at the front of your mind. God, I'm so thankful for, um, for your goodness to us in, in its many, many forms. Thank you for these different, uh, these different relationships that we see in the scriptures that show us different avenues and, or different angles to consider just uh, who you are to us. We can't really map, wrap our minds around all, how all those things come together. But in some really beautiful ways, they do come together uh, at the table. And so we're so thankful, God, for all that you have done for us. And pray that as we sing together and take communion together, that, that the connections that we have, that bond that exists um, from us to you, from you to us, however we need to think about it, God, that we could celebrate that together and you would uh, remind us of your willingness to sacrifice for us. Your love that you have for us made in your image. And God, for those who may be here who, who aren't sure if they're connected to you or not, pray that you would speak in these moments and assure them that it's not some big magic spell or anything that's weird about it. It's just a simple as a child looking to their father and saying, I need you. So would you have your way in these closing moments together tonight? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.